just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Welcome to the 17th episode of JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, the gorgeous one, Cindy Franklin. Yeah, that's true. And I'm Chris <laughs> Franklin, and today we're covering the fourth two-parter from Season 2 of Justice League, Made of Honor. These episodes feature the return of DC utility villain Vandal Savage, who is the antagonist behind the Season 1 finale, The Savage Time. On that episode, our pal Rob Kelly told us the history of the special guest heroes, the Blackhawks. So let's check the Watchtower Files for the prehistory on the immortal Vandal Savage. Watchtower Files. Vandal Savage debuted way back in Green Lantern number 10, winner of 1943, the creation of writer Alfred Bester and Green Lantern creator Martin Ottle. Who we met. Yes, we did. And meet. I actually have a Green Lantern Alan Scott button that he signed yeah. with an original piece of art on it. Yeah, and he signed my action figure. Oh, that's right. My I DC about Direct that. Alan Scott and Erwin Hayson signed it too. Yeah, yeah. Savage's initial confrontation involves him usurping the legal identity of GL sidekick Doyby Dickles and being named War Labor Chief in an attempt to cause the Allies to lose World War II. During the course of the adventure, Savage reveals he is an immortal Cro-Magnon man granted eternal life by a mysteriously powerful meteor that fell amongst his people centuries ago. He claims to have been important historical figures like Julius Caesar and Genghis Khan at times, and at other times he controlled world events behind the scenes like he's attempting to do now. GL and Doiby prove he's a fake and stop his federal appointment, it was easier to do back then, and chase him to his hideout in the hills of Kentucky, Wow, <laughs> where he seemingly falls to his death in a bottomless pit. Savage had a long wait to get his revenge on Alan Scott when he helped form the first version of the Injustice Society of the World in All-Star Comics number 37 in October-November 47. This tale sets Savage up as a foe of the entire JSA, which leads into his next appearance. Which is Flash number 137, June 1963. Savage abducted members of the JSA in the team's first Silver Age appearance, predating their team-up with the JLA and JLA number 21 by two months. It's established here that at this point, Savage was a villain of Earth-2, and his battle with Barry Allen's Flash is his first exposure to Earth-1 and the multiverse. Vandal was initially drawn in his two Golden Age appearances as rather caveman-like, but here, Carmine Infantino draws him as a standard bearded man who looks quite a bit like a young George Lucas. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Check that comic book out and tell me that that does not look like young George Lucas. <laughs> of course, that's when George Lucas was real young. But like Star Wars, original Star Wars era, George Lucas. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Savage laid low until the 1970s when he fought the two Flashes a couple of times and then pitched in against the entire JSA in the revised All-Star comics. In the 80s, he crossed Earths and clashed with the Earth-1 Superman on numerous occasions. Post-crisis, Savage's history was collapsed into having occurred on one Earth, but was initially relatively unchanged. He returned to a more brutish appearance in Mike Barron and Jackson Geis' early issues of the Wally West Flash series, beginning with issue number one, June 1987. Since then, Savage has become what we mentioned earlier, 
a utility villain who can pop up in any title to fight any hero or grouping of heroes, always immortal, always scheming for world conquest. In addition to Justice League, Savage has appeared in animated form on Batman the Brave and the Bold and had a significant role as a prime villain on Young Justice. In live action, he appeared in the Arrowverse on Legends of Tomorrow, and a thinly veiled Savage by another name appeared in the form of the immortal Curtis Knox on Smallville, played by former Superman Dean Cain. Okay, so Maid of Honor originally aired October 18th, 2003. Again, they're airing both parts together initially. Mm -hmm. Written by Dwayne McDuffie, directed by Dan Ribba, music by Christopher Carter, so all folks who have worked on the show in the past, although Dwayne McDuffie's becoming more prominent as as uh, we get farther into season two. In our voice cast, we have Kevin Conroy as Batman and Bruce Wayne. It's a little hint there. Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Carl Lumley as John Jones, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Dory Barton as Princess Audrey, Phil Morris returns as Vandal Savage, Larry Drake as Vox, Alfred Molina as King Gustav, Dan Castellaneta, yes, Homer Simpson himself as The Minister, Corey Burton as a page, Jennifer Hale as the chambermaid, Richard Doyle as the doctor, and Chuck Howerton as an armed man. I tell you what, I don't know what it is, but every time I kept looking at these notes and it says Dory Barton as Princess Audrey, I keep reading Dolly Parton. Do- every time! Dolly Parton is, that would have changed this movie, <laughs> to change this episode significantly. I, I, I know, I'm just saying. Man of Savage gonna try to take over the kingdom of Pigeon Forge, y'all. <laughs> hey, remember what Andrew said when he was little? We went to Dollywood. Well, we severe villain. Dollywood. Well, we, and we went to the Dixie Stamp. Well, it's not called Dixie Stampede anymore. It's called just Dolly Parton Stampede. It's oh, yeah, yeah, dinner, yeah. Dinner in a show. And uh, it's actually a pretty good show yeah. and a good dinner. But uh, we took Andrew to that. Now, granted, he he was about five yeah. or so. This was yeah. before Danny was born. But as we were walking out, there's this huge portrait of, of Dolly. And Andrew's like, what is she, the president around here or something? <laughs> <laughs> We'd be better off. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I was thinking it. Anyway, okay. In Paris, Wonder Woman makes quite a splash with the press, attending a gala for the International Space Station. She is saved from a paparazzi by a dance with millionaire Bruce Wayne. Who is she? It's Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman? Look, it's Wonder Woman. What is it like working with Superman? When you fought the aliens, were you scared? Um... Are you really from an island with no men? I... May I have this dance? Yes. Thank you, Mr... Wayne. Bruce Wayne. I appreciate the rescue. I'm surprised to see you here. From what I've heard, this isn't really your sort of affair. I've decided to get out more. Have a little fun. Enjoying yourself so far? More than I expected. How about you? What brings you to the City of Lights? I never miss a good party. I may also have to attend to some business while I'm in town. Princess Audrey, may I take your picture? Absolutely. So long as you're in it with me. Big smile. (laughs) The two enjoy their dance while the press move on to another media darling. Princess Audrey of Kaznia. But the paparazzi aren't the only ones interested in the princess as armed Kaznian militants repel into the room, demanding freedom from Kaznia's monarchy. They strap Audrey into one of their rope lines and begin to take her aloft to their helicopter above. Diana goes into action before Bruce even has a chance to undo his tie. 
She frees Audrey and mops up the floor with the men, and when their leader attempts to take off in the waiting copter, the flying heroine politely asks for his surrender. Later outside, near the downed copter, Princess Audrey thanks her hero. Diana questions why someone would want to kidnap her, and Audrey briefly admits a lot of people don't care for Kasnia, both inside and outside its borders. Her worried father, King Gustav, calls, but Audrey assures him she'll have the protection of a superhero for the night. Diana agrees as long as she tells her everything she knows about her country's opposition, but Audrey is more worried about living it up before her upcoming nuptials, and she offers to replace Diana's trash dress and then go clubbing. We need to get you some new clothes. I know a boutique that'll open for me if I ask them nicely. I thought you were going to tell me more about the incident. No, that's just what I'd let my father think so I could go clubbing tonight. Clubbing? Look, I'm getting married soon. This is my last night in Paris as a free woman. I'm not really following. I'm a world-class party girl. I intend to go out with a bang. Several, if it can be arranged. You coming? Elsewhere in the City of Lights, Batman interrupts the tail end of an armed robbery at the local branch of Star Labs. The burglars use advanced arm-mounted laser cannons, but Batman manages to capture one while the other two escape with some kind of motherboard. The Dark Knight demands to know who the man works for, but he answers him in a foreign language, which Batman readily understands. He asks again in the man's own tongue. The fleeing robbers return to their base, a large advanced control room. They hand their booty, a targeting device, to their superior, Colonel Vox, who speaks through a strange voice box device, which he wears around his neck like a brace. Vox assures the men that despite Batman's continual interference with their plans, he, nor the entire Justice League, won't be able to stop them. In Audrey's guarded limo, Diana interrupts her shopping spree long enough to get serious and discuss why someone would want to harm or kidnap her. She tells Diana of the large amounts of cash her country has sunken into the International Space Station, which hasn't gone over well with the local peasants. The project is under the guidance of her fiancé, a much older man Audrey is obligated to marry. But the precocious princess manages to ditch her bodyguards and runs off with Diana in a cab in search of a place to dance. They find it, and their joint celebrity gets them into a happening club with no waiting. When the press begins to crowd them out again, the two princesses fly away. The next morning, the two are discussing their party night on the Eiffel Tower. This is perfect. I can't remember when I've had this much fun. You couldn't have had this much fun, darling. You've never partied with me before. <laughs> this wasn't how I intended to spend my last night as a free woman. Disappointed? No. I've rather enjoyed corrupting you. I'd appreciate it if we kept some of the more embarrassing stories to ourselves. Don't worry. I won't tell anyone that our great hero has feet of clay. You have no idea. I'm sometimes afraid I'll never have fun again. You don't have to marry him. Yes, I do. But I've still got time for one more fling. Audrey! <laughs> Diana is shocked when Audrey throws herself from the tower, but she knows her own private hero will save her. She just wanted one final fling before her engagement party the following evening. When she returns to her hotel room, Diana finds Batman waiting for her. He questions the company she's keeping, since the burglar he apprehended turned out to be a Cosnian Special Forces operative. Diana doubts her friend would be involved in such a theft, but she agrees to ask her about it. The next night at the Cosnian Embassy in Paris, Diana does just that. As Audrey dresses for her engagement party, Diana tells her of Batman's findings. She is emphatic that her father would have nothing to do with such things, and despite not knowing him, Diana believes her. 
At the party, Audrey introduces Diana to her upcoming ball and chain, someone who Diana immediately recognizes. Diana, I'd like to introduce you to my fiancé, Vandal Savage. Yes, it's Vandal Savage, and despite Diana rattling off his rap sheet of Nazi war crimes, this man claims to be the otherwise innocent descendant of his evil grandfather. Vandal Savage III, as he's known, excuses himself and leaves a very upset Audrey and a flummoxed Diana behind. But Diana follows and confronts Savage about his persistent genes outside. How insistent are those genes, Mr. Savage? Meaning? Your grandfather was a munitions maker. Ahead of his time, in many ways. I hope that doesn't also run in the family. It doesn't. Kasnia's main interest is in the peaceful exploitation of space. I'm not sure I believe you, Mr. Savage. I'm not sure I care. What are you saying? I'm the original Vandal Savage? I'm over a hundred years old? Whoever you are, I'm not going to let you hurt Audrey. Hurt her? I love her. I've never met a woman who can do the things for me that she can. I don't want to hear this. I was talking about her making me a member of the royal family. Ah, Colonel Vox. Wonder Woman was just leaving. Would you be so kind as to escort her out? I can find my own way. Make the calls. It's time. Diana flies off and Savage gives Vox the order to proceed with their plan. The next day, as astronauts board their shuttle to launch to the space station, one confirms with a technician that their payloads have been swapped. Meanwhile, in Kaznia, a chambermaid brings King Gustav his nightly drink, which is poisoned. The king collapses and the maid leans over and gloats that this betrayal comes courtesy of Vandal Savage. Arriving at the space station, the astronauts shock the crew by greeting them at gunpoint. The lead astronaut calls Savage and informs him that they have successfully taken the station. Savage gives the order to proceed, then visits Audrey's room to tell her that her father has suffered a stroke and is paralyzed. A distraught Audrey orders that they return to Kaznia immediately. A smiling Savage agrees. Wonder Woman is conferring with Batman about Savage's possible return via their communicators when Bruce sees news of King Gustav's rather convenient stroke. I'm still not sure it's really him. But if Savage is still alive, the pieces begin to fit. I don't know. I had Jean look up his birth certificate and school records. It looks like it all checks out. Papers can be forged. Well, whether he's our Savage or a sequel, he makes me nervous. He should. Look at what we've got so far. A Kazanian operative stealing military secrets. Kazania spearheading the International Space Station. Good cover to circumvent the weapons embargo they're supposed to be under. If that's all Savage is up to, we're lucky. Hold on a minute. Sir Royal Bashir at the Royal Palace in Kaznia. Sources confirm reports that King Gustav has suffered a serious stroke. Serious and convenient. You get all that, Diana? I'm on my way to warn Audrey. Meet you there. Wonder Woman flies to warn Audrey, but finds her private plane leaving the embassy. She pursues it, and when she is spotted, Savage tells Colonel Vox to have a word with her. The Colonel straps on a jetpack and flies out the cargo bay to meet the Amazon. He opens his mouth and fires a disruptive sonic blast, which Diana barely dodges. As their battle continues, he eventually hits his target and sends Diana crashing into a barn below. At the Kaznian Palace, seeing her stricken father, Audrey resolves to take the throne until her father may one day be well enough to rule again. She tells Savage she wants them to wed immediately to show the people that their royal continuity is assured. Savage is pleased, and the invalid king, who apparently is still aware, can only stare in silent terror. I'm sorry, milady. We've done all we can. 
Audrey. No. If my father cannot rule, my duty is clear. For the good of Cosmia, I must assume the throne until my father is able again. Of course, my counsel is at your service, as it was for the king. I don't require your counsel, Vandal. I beg your pardon? The people need reassurance of the royal family's continuity. Our wedding will take place immediately. Is that acceptable to you? Nothing would make me happier. To be continued, of course. So now the press refers to Diana as Wonder Woman, but we haven't really heard her call that all that much on here. Right. It's usually just been Diana, and they never call Jean the Martian Manhunter. Mm -mm. But yeah, they call her Wonder Woman's son, but you hear Wonder Woman a lot more in this one than you normally do. Maybe it's because they didn't want to say Princess Diana, especially With given, Princess Audrey, yeah. having two princesses. Well, and because of paparazzi and... Right. You know, I mean, it's been a decade, before, you know, but Well, still. you have to think, that would have been... Um, that was in 97. Mm -hmm. So that would have only been five years out. Yeah. Notice the Bondian way Bruce introduces himself. Did you notice that? Wayne. Bruce Wayne. You know? Yeah. <laughs> this is very much the James Bond story, as we'll see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Bruce obviously knows who Diana is. It's no secret. But she doesn't know that he's her teammate Batman, or so he thinks. I know. He thinks he's so smart. Yeah, more on that later. Yeah. Yeah. Put a pin uh, in that. I, I know they wanted to show that Bruce had total confidence on Diana taking care of the terrorists, but he just stood there eating hors d'oeuvres while armed men shot machine guns in a room full of innocent people. True. You know, I'm just like... <laughs> it makes her look really good, but it makes Batman look really bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, he could at least like have nonchalantly tripped up a couple or yeah. even if he didn't change into his costume or something, you know. I, I mean, I know it's a, it's a, it's a, ooh, let's make Wonder Woman look good moment, but yeah. So what did you think about her ripping her dress? I wanted to spin. I know, you wanted to, because <laughs> you, you, you sat on the couch, you're like, ooh, <laughs> and, and she didn't do it. <laughs> no. You got to wait till uh, Justice League Unlimited. Which, well, and the next, when they do the spin, it's at another, you know, UN kind of thing. Yeah, you know? it's at a UN conference, like yeah. a, a climate change conference. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. But still, I mean, and they they actually blocked the shot to where, you know, you thought that's what she was going to do, and I'd forgotten, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, eh. <laughs> I do like the bit before the credits. You give up, right? She, like, pecks on the window. Yeah. The windshield of the helicopter. Like, you know. <laughs> And, and then, then the, you see the helicopter just crashed mm -hmm. later. So, first impressions of Princess Audrey. She's a spoiled little brat. Yeah. <laughs> but she also knows that with the throne, she has certain obligations, and she's not going to shirk them. Right. You it's know, like but she really is trying to get as much partying in as possible because she knows it's going to be over soon. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Audrey is voiced by Dory Barton, who at this point was a character actress who appeared on lots of TV shows, including a year-long run on One Life to Live. Around this same time, she played the part of young Martha Stewart in a TV, TV biopic. Mm -hmm. So there's that. She is now an award-winning writer-director, having made her debut with the film festival favorite Girl Flu a few years ago, which mm. I've never heard of, but, you know, good for her. Uh, this episode really doubles down on the double entendres. <laughs> Audrey says she hopes to go out... 
with a bang, several if it can be arranged. <laughs> yeah. And I have party favors. You want some? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> According to IMDb, she was based on Audrey Hepburn. I can see them lifting the name of Audrey for the princess on the run, living living the life she never could from Roman Holiday, you know, but she doesn't look a thing like Audrey Hepburn. She's got blonde hair. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, they probably got the name from Audrey the, the Hepburn. The name would be it, you yeah, know. Yeah, and the idea of a princess, you know, being, you know, on her own and yeah. doing her own thing, yeah. King Gustav is voiced by Alfred Molina, who mm-hmm. is no stranger to superhero fans, having played Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2, among his many memorable film appearances, including a little indie film called <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, you totally went there. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, guys. Dad it's getting joke. close to Father's Day. He's getting worse as it gets closer. Dad, and Dr. Ange isn't the only one that's got the dad jokes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised he's got such a small role in this because he's Alfred Molina. Right. But he does. He just, you know, maybe he just like, he needs, you know, did, did it as a favor to somebody or mm-hmm. something, you know, who knows. I like how Batman saves the one robber at Star Labs. I mean, he goes out of his way when that catwalk crashes just, to, yeah. to save him. Of course, he also wants to interrogate him, but it is nice to see, you know. Yeah, but, but I, I just think that's something he would do. Yeah, it is know. something we do, but a lot of writers nowadays don't remember that the superheroes are supposed to save everybody. Right. With, you know, rel- you know, relatively. We'll see later that they don't quite worry about saving everybody, but, you know. Uh, the design of the burglars is similar to other designs used, uh, especially like for the Society of Shadows that worked for Rachel Ghoul. I think it's just utilitarian. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's more... No, it's not supposed you know, to be them, but I think it's just like, basically, like you said, it's just like, you know, hooded bad guys yeah. that have like tech weapons. So, yeah. I love the bit where Batman understands what the robber yeah. is saying because he's like, he starts speaking in Co- Cosnian and it's like translated at the bottom and... You know, I wouldn't tell you even if you could understand me. Yeah, he's like, and it says, I do and you will. And yeah. as Batman comes close, and of course it plays, dun, 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 mm-hmm. as he gets closer to him. <laughs> and he did. Yeah, yeah. Who are you working for? I thought briefly Colonel Vox may be the DCAU version of the Green Lantern villain Sonar. Yeah, I know you mentioned that when we were watching this. Yeah, but then I remembered we actually see Sonar in straight-up Gil Kane uniform in JLU later. So this is not meant to be him. Yeah. So Vox is voiced by Larry Drake, probably best known for L.A. Law and playing villains in Dark Man and Dr. Giggles. But he also voiced Ganthet in the 2008 Green Lantern animated film, which is a much better movie than the live action one. Mm. <laughs> oh my. So what did you think about Diana's scarlet dress? I don't know. I was just kind of bored with it. I'll be honest. I mean, they show three different, ga- Diana and three different gowns and they all look the same. Well, yeah, there's like two different black ones and a... But they, one. I mean, they was relatively all the, all the same, you know, it's spaghetti It's not like Gal Gadot's blue dress with the sword in the yeah, back, nothing like yeah. that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they were pretty, but they were, you know... Yeah. There's actually some beats in this that are similar to the Wonder Woman movie, if you think about well, it. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. You could put her in a potato sack, but, oh, you know... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, her or Linda Carter in a potato sack. Yeah. I was talking about the animated. <laughs> oh, Diana. the animated Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her too. Well, any version of Wonder Woman you could put in a potato sack. So, yeah. Uh, 
Clearly, Audrey has ditched her guards many times before. She's got that cab switch down. Which is why I don't understand why they weren't prepared. They're just, they don't seem very effective. You no. Know? Yeah. They run, the, Diana, Audrey and Diana run through one cab. She throws money at the guy. Yeah. And then they run into another. And then when the guard makes it to the first cab, he sees the second one drive off. And then Kaznini exclaims something, which is literally translated at the bottom into poop with an exclamation <laughs> point. Poop. Poop. <laughs> I love it. I'm kind of surprised Audrey doesn't get jealous when Me the... Me too. I thought she would be. The club doorman says, you're with Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rather than, you know, it's like, oh, Princess Audrey, yeah. Uh, so, so you mentioned Audrey's party favors. Yeah. But Diana actually goes... I was kind of surprised because she was just like, nice. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my. <laughs> Wonder Woman's going to get jiggy with it. She is. <laughs> now, now we had this discussion. We usually wait to discuss these things on air, but you and I had this discussion. I think the creators were at least hinting, at the very least, at some romantic feelings between Audrey and Diana. No. <laughs> I can be friends with my my girlfriends and kiss them on the cheek or give them a hug, and it doesn't, there's not any sexual overtones to it. Yeah. I think it's just a male fantasy that, no, <laughs> I disagree completely. Okay. All right. All right. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, with Wonder Woman, where she comes from, and you know that's that as 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 more adults eyes are put on comics and the, the, everything's got to be over explained that comes up more often nowadays you know and i'm just i and i mean and i guess i take you know now you know obviously things have changed since even 2003 they just if they wanted to do it, they just come out and do it you know nowadays i know but yeah. I, I I just I mean I mean it I is respect, the Eiffel Tower and it's romantic and yeah. I respect your opinion but you're wrong. I'm not saying it was intent. I'm just I'm saying I'm not saying that's what they meant. I'm saying they could they maybe put some things in there to, so you can interpret that way if you wanted to. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she does say something about keeping her embarrassing act secret. Uh, you know, it kind of does feel like that one time in college type of thing. I'm just saying. Or that one time at band camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, either way, I love their feet of clay exchange. That's that's just like it's nice to see a superhero with feet of clay. And yeah. one of them was like, "You have no idea." Yeah, and I'm not even sure. I might be misremembering, but I don't think they ever. I don't think they ever said where she came from in this interpretation. Yeah, she was just Hippolyta's daughter. And yeah, maybe they did, and you and I are just forgetting because of I, all the. I, you know, there's probably somebody yelling at us, going, "Yes, they did in episode blah blah blah." But yeah, you if, know. if you remember it, let us know because I mean, all the different versions, you know, run together together in our they heads do. and yeah. it's, it's hard to keep straight so but it's a nice nod to wonder woman's original origins if they haven't mentioned it so right, right. <laughs> i like batman's line you're keeping late hours and diana you're one to talk yeah. <laughs> uh, she's not at all surprised to see him in paris either so hmm, hmm. Keep that again in, another pen keep that in mind so and, he, and then he's got another good one. He's, some of the, those people aren't all they appear to be. Well, you know, Bruce, you ought to know, you know, right. these rich, these rich. Playboy by day, <laughs> Batman by night. Yeah, these rich jet setters. <laughs> Secretly have a, you know, underground, you know, headquarters and, you know, high powered vehicles and all with a bat motif. You know, that's pretty weird if you think about it. So, um as she's getting ready for a party, she she's she's going to churn out a veritable litter of royal heirs. Audrey yeah. does. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, she knows that as 
the female in the monarchy, that's her job. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately. But it's still kind of funny that they, they openly talk about this type of stuff in a, what's ostensibly, a, again, a kid's cartoon. True. We're going to continue to just be amazed at the things they do, even though at this point we shouldn't be. Right. You know. I mean, it's nothing loot. I mean, it goes right over a kid's head. They're not going to pay any attention to this. But if you watch it, if you're an adult and you watch this, or even as a teen and you watch it, you're going right. to start picking up stuff like this. Yeah. So we meet her fiance, and it's ta-da, Vandal Savage. <laughs> like you didn't expect that, basically, because oh, yeah. we, you know. But we waxed the hell out of Phil Morris's car last time, so we'll just say he's awesome. He's probably best known as Jackie Childs on Seinfeld. He plays John Jones on Smallville and King Faraday in the New Frontier, and he's done a lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. But he just seems like a really cool dude. And he's a big comic book fan. All right. So I'm like again, I'm always happy to see that guy show up and stuff. Diana isn't buying what Savage is selling, but Audrey gets upset that Diana just insulted her fiance, and you can you can understand why. Right. I mean, you know, even if she isn't a huge fan of the guy, I mean, Diana just walked up and said, you're a Nazi, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he actually, you know, he, I think his defense is like, he's like, what, I'm the original Vandal Savage, and I'm over 100 years old? Like, what are you, crazy? You know? I know, it's just like <laughs> stating the obvious. You yeah, know? yeah, I like that. Yeah, it does make her sound crazy, though. Notice Savage is dressed in a tan Nehru jacket, not a right. like, classic Bond villain, Dr. No. And I was sitting here trying to think. I'm like going, oh, it's a James Bond guy. Who is it? Well, Dr. No wore tan, and, and Blofeld wore the gray, like which is what Dr. Evil right, wears. Right, right. Um, you know, but, you know, and Vox is clearly an odd job type of henchman secondary villain, you know. So, you know, this is definitely... We're definitely in James Bond land. Yeah. Also, clearly, there are hints that this chambermaid has been asked to do more than just bring meal and drink to the king. Right. Because she, you know, she's like, is there anything else? And he's, no, not tonight. Yeah. I'll let you know when your services are needed. Yeah. And I, you know, that's why she was, you know. She enjoyed what she did. Oh, yeah. She liked poisoning him because, you know, it was. mm. Yeah. Why are you still here? Are you certain that the wine is all you require this evening, your highness? Quite. When I need your services... Vandal Savage sends his regards. In the message, your services are no longer required. Yeah, you, you don't really feel a whole lot of sympathy for And that's for the whole King thing. <laughs> I mean, this the whole monarchy thing, you know, in a way, Audrey and King Gustav kind of deserve what's coming to them. Yeah, a little bit. I because mean, you can tell they're like, they don't like that we've, th- you know, the poor peasants don't like that we've thrown money at this space station. While they're starving, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let them eat cake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Savage is really coordinating things like clockwork. King, the king is poisoned. Space station is taken. Princess is duped into returning home. I mm-hmm. mean, he's got it all worked out. So yeah, and he knew that she would say, "Okay, we're going to go ahead and get married." He, you know, yeah, yeah, he had it all. He had it all figured out. It's kind of neat to see Bruce Wayne on the end of Diana's called a Batman. Before she was casual and he was in costume, and now it's reversed. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of neat. And the design for Bruce Wayne is pretty much the new Batman Adventures look. But they switched the piercing blue eyes for black. So it's kind of in between the classic Batman the Animated Series look and the new Batman Adventures look a little bit. 
and when Vox and Diana engage, you know, he like blasts at her, and then oh, yeah. then he gets on top of her and shoves her face into the ground for, for like, like ever for a mile or something. I mean, and, that's not a way I want to get a facial. No. <laughs> oh, good one. Yeah. Savage is briefly put out when Audrey says, I don't need your counsel. So, you know, he's thinking like, say what? Like, yeah. she's getting ready to kick him to the curb. And he's like, oh, no, honey, I got all this planned out. And then she's like, oh, no, we got to get married in a hurry. And he's like, oh, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> this is another kind of low-key ending, like last episode with uh, Dr. Destiny. It's not a big kapow moment with the heroes and immediate i mean wonder woman's been knocked out so she could be dead or something but we know she's not oh well yeah but there's not like a big like cliffhanger type ending at Mm -hmm. the end of this one so but this story has a lot of political intrigue so yeah you know it's pretty much what it is so it it makes sense nothing nothing wrong with that it's just we're we're kind of starting to move away from everything's got to be a huge action piece at the break well it's a thinking cartoon right you know yeah okay part two uh Easy. That's quite a shot you took. I miss anything? Plenty. Your friend Audrey's moved up the wedding. It's happening right now. Like Hades it is. You go there uninvited. You'll be breaking international law. I get my hands on Savage. That's not all I'll be breaking. You coming? Wonder Woman wakes up in the barn to find a concerned Batman kneeling over her. He tells her of Audrey's expedited nuptials and she flies off to stop them despite risking an international incident. She incites just that when she approaches the castle and the Kasnian Air Force engages her. She's handling the jets handily and the Batwing arrives for the assist, but the number of jets becomes a bit much for Diana and she flies into the forest where she runs into Kasnian ground forces who are also waiting for her. As she fends off the troops in the castle, Audrey walks down the aisle and the wedding begins. As the priest performs the ceremony, both Diana and the Batwing are overwhelmed by their enemy's firepower. Batman, of course, ejects, and the crashing Batwing and a downed tree, courtesy of Diana, send the troops packing. She approaches the castle only to find a tank in her way, temporarily. As the priest asks if anyone objects to the Union, Diana throws that tank through the castle wall and into the wedding chamber. If anyone has cause why this couple should not be united in marriage, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. Audrey, stop! I won't let you marry him. Does anyone else have any objections? She rushes in and demands the wedding be stopped. But electricity is evil, y'all. And Savage zaps her with some kind of electric ray gun. Diana is taken prisoner. Following the royal announcement of their union, the newlyweds share their first dance, and Audrey questions what has gotten into her friend. Savage plays it smooth and tells his bride he wants to give her the world. Later that night, apparently after the royal consummation, Audrey awakens to find her husband missing. Her guard says he's dealing with a minor diplomatic matter. On her way, she walks past Diana's cell. Diana informs her that not only is her groom amassing political power for nefarious ends, he also poisoned her father. How dare you burst in here and ruin my wedding? Aren't you even curious about what Savage is up to? He's dangerous. Why? Do you think he might throw a tank through my wall? Grow up. He's obviously using you. He's amassing military and political power. For what? What do you think? He's got to be stopped. You're a raving lunatic. Not to say you weren't fun to go clubbing with. This isn't a joke, Audrey. I think Savage is responsible for your father's sudden illness. And I think you've just crossed a line. 
Don't walk away, Audrey. You're making a big mistake. I can do whatever I please. Surely you've noticed by now. This puts Audrey over the edge and she leaves her former friend hanging in her power-draining cell. Audrey finds her very busy husband in the basement security center fortifying their defenses due to Wonder Woman's attack. But he's got a bigger surprise coming. He takes a throne in front of television cameras and sits with the royal scepter in his hand, much to Audrey's shock. Elsewhere in the castle, Batman hacks into the security cameras and finding Diana held captive calls the watchtower for backup. But Flash, Green Lantern, and John Jones are soon distracted by Savage's TV broadcast. Batman to Watchtower. Hey, hope you're having fun. I'm up here watching the paint dry. Wonder Woman's being held captive. She's too well guarded for me to extract her. Need backup? I'll grab the two Johns and we'll... Flash, Green Lantern, join me in the monitor room. We have a developing situation. What is it? I've got bats in the other line. Well, look who's back. Today, the world changes. Kaznia is at the forefront of that change. Crucial to these changes was Kaznia's contribution to the International Space Station, Platform One. A contribution somewhat larger than you've been led to believe. No, even he wouldn't. This device is called a mass driver, but I prefer its more colloquial appellation, a railgun. It's all very complicated. Perhaps a demonstration is in order. He demonstrate what Kaznia's contributions to the space station have really been. A mass driver, otherwise known as a railgun. The rain cannon pulls a large meteor in and launches it to Savage's target on Earth, namely the USS Edmonton Aircraft Carrier Group, somewhere in the ocean. The meteor hits behind the ships, but the resulting tidal wave splits the mighty ship in half. As Savage rattles off the demands of his new world order, Green Lantern tells the others of how he saw a similar weapon once take out an inhabited moon. They head out for the station in the Javelin 7, with Green Lantern advocating blasting the entire structure out of the sky, reasoning any hostages are military and knew the risk when they took the job. Flash and John favor a more humane approach and opt for an attempted rescue as well. What's the plan? Plan? We blow that thing out of the sky. It is possible that there are still hostages on board. Astronauts are military. They know the risks. Still, if we can save them, we should. I concur. If I were them, I'd want you to save the world, not waste time coming back from me. Yeah, but we'd come anyway. The Javelin is detected by Savage's instruments on Earth, and Vox initiates the station's defense mechanisms. The Javelin is shot down and crashes into the space station's outer hull. Vox confirms the hit with his master while Audrey questions her husband's mad actions. He rattles off the objectives he's already achieved, and she tells him he sounds like his grandfather. Savage then confirms what Wonder Woman had suspected. There's only one Vandal Savage, and he's lived for centuries. Target destroyed. Vandal, what do you think you're doing? Destroying the Justice League, building a railgun, assuming total dominion over the nations of the Earth. You're ranting like your grandfather in an old newsreel. <laughs> Sweet foolish child. Wonder Woman was right all along. Ridiculous. You'd have to be over a hundred years old. I'm far older than that. The first time a meteor granted me power was over 25,000 years ago. While my fellows cowered with fear, I dared approach the strangely glowing rock. 
was warm, and the night was very cold. I slept curled up next to it, not realizing what its rays were doing to me. But over the millennia that followed, as I watched those around me grow old and die, while I remained unchanged, I discovered the truth and came to accept my destiny. Destiny? I live to rule. Delusions of grandeur aside, I rule Kasmia. That's why I married you. It's also why I poisoned your father. You... poisoned? Her scratches heal instantly, and he sends her to her room under heavy guard. Outside the space station, surprise, our heroes are still alive, inside Green Lantern's protective power bubble. Jean phases through the airlock and lets the others in. They take out some of the armed guards and split up to find the control center and free the hostages. Back at the castle, Batman distracts the guards long enough to begin freeing Diana, and the two of them begin to mop up the rest. The leaguers are doing the same on the space station until Flash comes upon an astronaut tethered for a spacewalk. He opens the airlock, which sucks both of them outside, but Flash isn't wearing a spacesuit. More on that. Green Lantern frees the hostages and through the windows sees his friend floating outside. In Casnia, Batman and Wonder Woman free Audrey while Savage grows impatient with the nations of the world. He hopes to up their sense of urgency a bit by targeting Paris for destruction with his railgun. As a railgun powers up, Green Lantern finally pulls the Flash into the station for air and a fighting mad Scarlet Speedster blasts off to take out the last of the rogue astronauts and finds the control room. Below, Batman and Wonder Woman prepare to enter Savage's own control room, but first Diana has to borrow some large diamond earrings from Audrey. They blast into the room and begin taking out a new batch of guards. Colonel Vox steps up and once more blasts at Diana with his sonic powers. But she stays on her feet and slowly moves toward him, somehow pushing past the massive waves of hard sound. Apparently you didn't get the message. Let me make it loud and clear. reaches Vox and crushes his voice box apparatus, knocking him cold. She reveals her secret weapons, Audrey's diamond earrings placed in her ears to block the sound. Savage runs to the railgun's controls to confirm the launch, but Batman throws him out of the way. Neither him nor the leaguers on the station can stop the gun, but Batman manages to change the coordinates, pointing it right at the Kasnian Royal Palace. The meteor heads to the castle as Batman sounds the alarm and warns the occupants to retreat in Kasnian. Savage wakes up to see the countdown nearing its end as the heroes, Audrey, the guard, and yes, King Gustav, all make their escape or are carried to safety. The meteor impacts and flattens the once proud castle. In space, Green Lantern carries the astronauts and the leaguers back to Earth. Flash's worry about the weapon falling into other hands is short-lived when the whole space station explodes. Later, on the site of her former palace, Audrey tells Wonder Woman she never really liked the castle anyway, that she is thankful for a chance to start anew, both for her country and herself. Suddenly, out of this scorched ground rises the broken husk of Vandal Savage. He writhes and contorts and resumes his original shape, more or less. Audrey orders her guards to seize him and vows he will pay for his crimes while testing his immortality. It's then that Wonder Woman drops quite a bombshell on the usually unflappable Batman. You've got a great deal of rebuilding to do. I never liked the palace anyway. Drafty. 
But maybe this is a chance for me and Kaznia to make a new start. You sure can pick them. Seize that thing! I don't know how you survived, but I promise that you'll pay for your crimes in full. Do your worst, child. I'm immortal. I can't be killed. We'll see. You know, we never did get to finish our dance. I don't know what you're talking about. If you say so, but you're still taking me dancing. So Wonder Woman just flies off to start an international incident and Batman smiles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this Justice League isn't afraid to step over borders, unlike mm -hmm. the Earth-1 League that Batman quit to form the Outsiders in a somewhat similar turn of events. Right. As Batman went into Markovia, the Geoforce's right, country. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Uh, Wonder Woman lassos a missile and throws it back at the plane. She deflects mounted machine gun fire and rips the tail fin off another plane. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely a great showcase Right. I mean, people forget how powerful Wonder Woman is. Right. I mean, she can pretty much go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Superman. Yeah. You yeah. know? I mean, that's one good thing about, you know, I mean, oddly enough, we're talking about the Justice League movie, and they just announced today they're actually releasing the Snyder Cut, but in the Justice League movie, Wonder Woman's the like the one that actually has a chance of stopping a fight mad Superman. Right. She doesn't, but she's almost got it. You know, yeah. she's got the best chance of stopping him. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Batman has a freaking laser beam on his bat wing. <laughs> And and I for one prefer that to, to machine gun. How much cooler would it have been if Vandal Savage had said I want to introduce my real gun. It's the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> Throw me a freaking bone here, Colonel Vox. <laughs> Okay, we're getting cracked up. <laughs> oh, okay, it's James Bond, so Austin Powers. We, you know, it's all, you know. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. We get a lot of G.I. Joe-like pilot ejecting, but we don't want our heroes killing people. No, no. Especially these guys are just soldiers doing their job. They're defending right. their country. So, you know, they're probably oblivious of what Savage's plans are, so. Right. I do wonder, though. How do Batman and Wonder Woman know where these planes are crashing? I know, because it shows, you know, farmlands, houses and farmlands. Farms and, like, and houses. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, is some Kaznian family going to walk outside to find their barn on fire with a jet in the middle yeah. of it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, what do you think about them intercutting the wedding music and the dialogue over the scenes of the battle? Like, they'll show a bit of the wedding, then they'll show Wonder Woman right. and Batman fighting. What do you think about that? I mean, I actually like that because that, you know, other things are happening, you it's, know. It's, it's very cinematic. Mm -hmm, yeah, very, I thought yeah. it was cool. Like, all the, all the action is silent while they're just playing the wedding mm -hmm. music. And, and, and you hear the priest, which, as I said, is Dan Castellaneta and Homer Simpson. It's kind of strange. Which, what? speaking of the priest, I mean, like I said, it so reminds me, and I guess, you know, just that air, area, 
But it reminds me of the priest from Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Which was uh, Anthony Hopkins playing another role. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, it does kind of remind you of that. But, yeah. you know, it's just that particular... At least it wasn't the you know. priest from the Princess Bride. Mowage! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Bruce sure goes through a lot of bat wings. It's a good thing he invested in a lot of parachutes, too. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, you know, I never did warm to that version of the Batwing. I I miss the animated series, original animated series Batwing that was the more, you know, it was like the movie Batwing, but more like straight lines, but oh, it did have the yeah. curves. Because that one, this thing always just looked like a flying dart to mm. me. I, ne- I never did care for it much. But yeah, I like the, the Batmobile that, from this era, but not not the Batwing so much. So, it's a good thing that tank didn't hit anyone. I know it was cool, but, geez, Diana, collateral damage, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's it's never a bad thing when Wonder Woman picks up a tank and throws mm. it around. You know, I just, it's, you can never get tired of that. Now, I'm not, I'm just saying Savage says later that Diana's grown very attached to Audrey. So, it's, if you've got that theory going on, then they can use that there too. Just, just saying. It's I wrong. Don't want to get you started again, but, you know, so. <laughs> but. Speaking of which, apparently Audrey did the royal deed with Savage. Uh-huh. Because it shows him in their bed, and he's not there anymore. And mm-hmm. And so, she was asleep, and so, ew, yeah. what if she's pregnant? Uh-huh. Ooh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hope not. Yeah. Uh, Diana's trussed up in some kind of energy shackle thingies that are apparently zapping her strength. I don't think they go with the old binder bracelets since she's powerless thing. Right. Uh, but, because that's awfully sexist, but mm-hmm. you can infer it if you like, but... So where do these people get this, you know, I mean, obviously these people are pretty advanced. Right. You know, but it's, at the same time, it's like, they, you know, they go buy that at Lowe's, you know, Wonder Woman <laughs> zapping, you know, bracelet, you know, shackles or something. <laughs> Suddenly there are other Justice Leaguers in this episode. I know. I thought they were just, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman. I know. It's like a Brave and the Bold team up before yeah. this. Yeah. The rail gun is so James Bond. Oh, yes. I mean... You know, but I don't think this is the last time we're going to see a similar weapon on Justice League. And it's surprisingly not going to belong to the bad guys. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of Green Lantern's position on how to handle the rail gun? It's one of those cases as a military man, I can see where he would think that. But as a superhero, he shouldn't think that way. Yeah, but I, I think it makes sense for him to bring that up and, and the others to kind of, no, dude, we can't do that, you know. I, I know, but to me, I mean, he's been Green Lantern long enough that you would think that he still wouldn't be that reasoning yeah, but immediately. But Green, as Green Lantern, he's still basically part of a military force. Mm. So, you know, he's figuring other Green Lanterns would just sacrifice themselves to save a planet, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that. I mean... I, I think it makes sense I'm, for the I'm character. I'm not saying... Yeah, I don't agree I don't with him, but right. I think it makes sense for the character to, to believe that. You know, and I mean, he's obviously, when he gets there, he's like, you know, we'll split up and you go find the hostages and blah, 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 you know. So, yeah. so I mean, he's obviously not like, I'm not going to go look for him or anything like that. You know, he's he's in to help save him, but he's also, his first thoughts, I'm going to go blow that thing up. You know, it's like, yeah. before it does any more damage, you know. Yeah. Mm. Things look pretty bad when the javelin is shot down, but of course... Green Lantern still has his ring, so the only one in real danger is Flash, and more on that later. We'll get to that. So Savage, again, he's really on top of things here. I love how he does the checklist. 
on his big caveman fingers, like destroying the Justice League, building a railgun, assuming total dominion over the nations of the earth. <laughs> so yeah. it's just he's like he's got these big giant, you know, inner real hairy hands. You know, yeah. he still he still looks like a shaved caveman, basically. You know, he's got no. Don't you make any jokes about me. <laughs> <sighs> I love you. Mm, I guess I deserve it for the snoring comments last time, uh-huh. which we'll get to in the feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get to his origin, and it's straight out of the comic books. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, they added the nice bit of serendipity with the two meteors. You know, he's using the meteor now right. as a weapon, so that's kind of nice. But, yeah, it's straight up. <laughs> and, of course, the heroes are still alive. And Flash says, do you have any idea what this is going to do to our insurance premiums? <laughs> Oh, always, you know, Flash is always good with the joke. So. Well, yeah. Uh, Green Lantern's move of filling the hallway with a battering ram is a nice touch. Yeah, I know. He's learning. I know. <laughs> He's learning to make things other than, I mean, it's still just a flat surface, but at least it's not just a beam or a bubble. So, uh, I like how Batman frees one of Wonder Woman's arms, then ducks and lets her punch the approaching guard. Right. They have some real nice moves together here, which, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean it's it's one of those things. Batman respects Wonder Woman's strength. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He doesn't see her as some failing flower, you know. Yeah, and he also isn't he's not intimidated by her no, by her no. strength. He's like, Okay, you're the super strong one here, you know, you take, you know, yeah. these guys out. Let, well it yeah. I mean it made me think about, you know, in the Wonder Woman movie when Steve Trevor trust Diana to lead the charge across the field. Right. I mean, he's like, hey, she's in charge. Yeah. You know, it, it's that same... Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I like the, another little moment when she jumps in front of Batman to deflect the bullets and he grapples up and throws a series of batarangs to knock the guards out that are shooting at him. Right. So they, they really work well and she mm-hmm. gives him a little, you know, little sly grin. So, yeah, it's, they're, you know, she's enjoying this, you know, they're, they're, they're dancing still. Oh yeah, they're flirting. Yeah, yeah, oh definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, So we're coming full circle with Savage targeting Paris. Everything that's set up in this episode has paid off really Mm -hmm. well. Dwayne McDuffie is good, as we know. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah. So, okay, just, okay, here's the weak part of this episode. Oh, I mean, oh. Flash should be dead. Yeah, even, I mean, Danny was just like. How long was he in there? <laughs> dead, dead, dead. He, 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 his head should have popped. Yes. You know, it, it's a full minute and 34 seconds before Green Lantern's ring retrieves him and another 24 seconds before we see him brought into the oxygen for the station. He would have frozen to death. Yeah. Before he did anything else. Unless he was like vibrating. I mean, they could have said something about he was like vibrating his molecules like kind of out of phase or right. something. That, you know, I, that, I mean, I would have. It's comic book science, but at least it would have been something. Yeah. You know, it would have, I could have, you know, it's like, I would have froze to death if I hadn't been vibrating my molecules or... Something. You know, something, something like that. Yeah. 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 Now, I know they were cutting back and forth for dramatic effect, but it's just... It's there's just, too much of a delay. There's too much of a delay. It, 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 all the crazy stuff going on in this episode, this is the hardest thing to believe. Yeah. Because the suspension of disbelief is just out of the window because other than his super speed, Flash is just a mortal man. Yeah. Now, you could say maybe his aura kind of somewhat protected him, but... It's never been shown to protect him in the vacuum of space before, so... Right. Yeah. But I do like, you know, after the fact, when Flash warms up, he cuts loose. I mean, we're starting to see, when he isn't interested in being the young goofball, he's potentially one of the most powerful members Mm -hmm. of the team, which he should be, because, I mean, that's the whole, you know, even Bruce Timmons said, you know, the problem with the Flash is, 
he can solve everything before anybody else even gets there. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know, he does hurt his hand with all the punching, though, which is kind of cute. So, yeah. Yeah. True. I think the bit where Batman runs around the hot hail of bullets, leaps onto the console, and kicks the guards was used in a lot of Cartoon Network promos. I think so. I think like they dropped out the yeah. other. Yeah, I remember. I remember that in a lot mm-hmm. of the promos back then. So I remember that move, and it's cool. He does that thing where he's running with his arms inside his cape, and it's just all you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the takedown of Vox is really well done. I mean. The visual effect of the sound is neat. I mean, it like distorts his whole head when he like first mm-hmm. starts blasting at it at her. But the, and the concentric rings, you know, coming at you are really cool. And and uh, what do you think about Diana's one liner? She knocks him out. <laughs> Not another word. That's that's Connery worthy. Yeah. Not another word. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, would that diamond bit work? I don't know. I wondered that. I mean, myself. I know diamonds I are obviously super hard, right? Right. And they're real big diamonds, but you know. But that, the, but the thing about it is, and that was another thing. How would they actually go into her ear? Because for an actual earplug to work, it has to form to the malleable. Yeah, it has to be malleable and go into the ear canal. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know, but we'll hey, chalk that one up to comic book science. Yeah, and, and and you know would and why isn't Batman dead? He was right near it. You mean deaf? Dead or deaf, either oh, one. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, he did he have his bad earplugs in, which he probably did if he knew he was going up against. Why didn't he give Diana some? I think that's it's so what, Audrey could help contribute to the. Well, Audrey could help contribute, but I think with Batman, he's probably got little things that he can touch. That you know, just automatically pop into his ear yeah. from the cow, yeah. yeah, like the like his night lenses. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I love Batman's line. You're in my way. Then he whacks Savage with the chair. He just knocks him out of yep. the <laughs> and then picks him up and throws him. I don't think this is the last time we'll see Batman make himself a target of some massive death ray type weapon. I think that comes up again. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's just that's one of Batman's like you know Hail Mary pass moves or something. You know, at the end of an episode. So. Uh, all the guards evacuating the base is another Bondism. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I like how they established Batman spoke Kaznian before so he can get on the intercom, intercom and, yep. and tell him to evacuate in, in Kaznian. Batman, we couldn't prevent the railgun from discharging. Me neither, but I did manage to change the targeting coordinates. Where'd you send it? Right here. Fujia, Anatoly Nibu. yes, I like how they established Batman spoke Kaznian before so he can get on the intercom, intercom and, yeah. and tell him to evacuate in, in Kaznian. So so do you think Green Lantern set charges? Did he do something with his ring or did he activate like a self-destruct thing on the space station? You want my honest opinion about yeah. this? I think that John was a munitions expert in the military. Because different things, like when they went back in time and stuff, yeah. different things he said and different things. Like, I can't remember if it said, but it seems like he had munitions. Some munition. kind of de- demolition expert yeah, or something. That, yeah, he had munitions. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, I think he set charges. Yeah, he might have, yeah. Because he wanted it exploded anyway. Or he might have just done enough stuff with his ring to set, you know, enough stuff up to just, yeah. But I do think that he, I'd like to see... I should have done some more research about that, but I want to say that he said he was in 
munitions or demolition. That's in my head you know? too, and I don't know why. You know, it's like it's. I think when um, with uh, oh Metamorpho, he was talking about oh, Metamorpho, yeah. what unit they were in, but I'm not for sure. But I think I heard remember that Metamorpho, Metamorpho. <laughs> Here is the story of the element. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, we can't just leave. What's to stop somebody else from taking control of that thing? How about that last minute Rise of Savage moment? Ugh. Yeah, you know, that's the one. This episode's really, these episodes are really well animated. That's the one sequence that kind of falls flat. The music cues and Phil Morris's performance sell a more gruesome image, mm-hmm. but it's not quite pulled off. He doesn't, but maybe it's because it was just been too gross, you know, yeah. for the kids' cartoon. So, but they, otherwise, these episodes look great. To go back to that about Savage before we get into that. Okay, okay. Audrey is married to Vandal Savage. Hmm. Think about that. And they consummated the marriage. Well, so I'm pretty sure she can do what she wants and have it annulled whether they consummated it or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she is the princess, so. I know, but still, Yeah, you know. that's true, yeah, yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So, Diana knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. Thoughts? I mean, here's the thing. You know, Diana may not be a world, you know, world-class detective, yada, yada, but she's a fighter. She's a trained fighter. She's fought beside Batman. She knows his body, how his body moves and stuff like that. She danced with him. Right. A lot of times people will say fighting is another type of dancing if you do it right. Well, yeah, especially Batman knowing martial arts and everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, she'd be able to... Find him. Yeah. Plus, just a good look at his chin, probably. <laughs> just, you know. But, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just saying, yeah. you know. Or if he's got, you know, Michael Keaton's lips, that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> true, true. Val Kilmer's mole, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Christian Bell's got that mole on the side of his nose, but his cow covered it, so. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is a dance that you're going to see throughout the series between, you know, Diana and Bruce, it's just, yep. you know. Yep, they're the, they're, there's, there's two power couples on yeah. Justice League. There's Green Lantern and Hawk Girl, and then there's Batman and Wonder Woman. Right. So Batman and Wonder Woman, well, I guess Green Lantern and Hawk Girl was pretty out there because, you know, there's no Hawkman. Usually Hawk Girl goes with Hawkman. But, uh, well, there is a Hawkman. Yeah, there is a Hawkman later, but through the most part, there's right. not. So, yeah, so, but Batman and Wonder Woman, and, and like Bruce Tim said, some people like, some people are like, well, don't put Superman and Wonder Woman together. It's like, he's got Lois, you know, which right. is the whole, it's like the new 52 was all stupid about that. So, yeah, thank God that's over. So, uh, Power action feature. So, power action feature. Lots and lots of great action beats in this yes. one. I think, I personally think Wonder Woman powering through the sonic blast is probably the best. Or it could be the tank. Or it could be her lassoing the missiles. You got a different one? or I, I would go with lassoing the missiles. Yeah. Because, you know, not only does that take strength, but that takes skill Precision. and so pers- Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, well, yeah, that's, that's true. And it just visually is. Right. It's not just brute strength. You right. know? Right. Yeah. She's, she's a, some, as the Super Friends Wonder Woman would say, time for some rope a dope action, you know? <laughs> <laughs> rotating chairperson. So, rotating chairperson, there's no doubt this is Wonder Woman. Oh, episode. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she, she missed out on last episode, but she definitely made up for it here. Mm-hmm. She's clearly in charge. She's right about everything throughout. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
It's got to be her. Justice League communicator. I think the Feet of Clay line might be the Justice League communicator, but I don't know. Not another word is, you know, again, very Bondian. It's maybe even good enough for a Schwarzenegger, you know. I like the Feet of Clay. You like the Feet of Clay? Yeah, I like that one, Yeah, you know. Yeah, either one. Either one's good, yeah. You know, that's it's almost like stick around, like you know, yeah. Arnold or something. Yeah. Comic connections. Uh, comic connection. We get Savage's origin straight up. So, what's yeah. not to love? I mean, it's and, pretty much beat for beat. Yeah, it even ties a bit into his goals from his very first story. You know, with Alan right. Scott, he's right. he's seizing military power. So, which he did in the Savage time too. I guess that's just his shtick. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so. Electricity is evil. Electricity is evil because Vandal's electric ray gun counts. You know, yeah, that's yeah. just about it in this one. But he really zaps the hell out of Diane, obviously. So I, for one, was really surprised how much I like this one. I know. I remember this being um, one of the ones I was, I was like, meh. But this time I liked it. I know. I, I don't know? know why the first time around. I think I just... I think it was because I'm like, I don't care about this princess and all, you know, this yeah. is just, ah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. But I, it, you know, maybe it was all the Paris Hilton stuff that was going to say, you know, that, you know, and I'm not that we still don't have all that crap, but you know, that was when that stuff was first, you know, like being be, introduced and be, shoved down your throat constantly. But, you know, but I, I, you know, I really, really enjoyed this. I think it's mm-hmm. really well written and acted. Yes. You know, the Wonder Woman Spotlight episodes continue to really surprise us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've they so far been really strong. Uh, Fury, not as well, but the one with Felix Faust mm-hmm. was great. This one was great. I'd actually say this one is a bit more even than the last two-parter with Dr. Destiny. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a tighter story, and it, it's, you know, the first part of that was a little slow, but, I mean, this one isn't, like, there's not as much action-action in part one, but there's interesting character beats Throughout to keep you engaged, so I'm I'm glad to eat some tasty Justice League crow. This oh, is yeah. this was a good yeah. one. So yeah. so yeah, I highly recommend that. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk. And the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. 
Okay, so we're going to go over your listener feedback at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Thanks for everybody for, you know, uh, writing in and, and uh, leaving a comment. Uh, so you want to start us out? Okay. Siskoid says, Skeletor, you bastard. Yeah, Skeletor. Dr. Doctor Destiny was definitely Rob. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Rob Kelly says, regarding the snoring comments, it was interesting hearing a man sign his own death warrant live on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, I, apparently I snore, but so does Christopher. Oh, yeah, I know. I don't deny it. I don't deny that I snore. I, I got to tell this story. This is about your mama. Oh, God, yeah. We went, th- Chris and I have dated since we were in high school, and we went for a college visit, and Chris stayed in the dorms, and I stayed in a hotel room with his mom. Well, his mother was 97 pounds, soaking wet, and we were sharing a hotel room. And she was snoring so loud, it woke me up. I tried to go sleep in the bathtub that night. I went out in the hallway. You could still hear her out in the hallway of this hotel. And there were two other people out in the hallway looking, trying to figure out where this noise was coming from. (laughs) I mean, it's a family trait. (laughs) Well, we must have passed it on to you, apparently. Oh, I'm so. osmosis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Gothos Mansion says, I always wondered if Wes Craven read any Dr. Destiny comics before he wrote A Nightmare on Elm Street. Batman's line about, my brain isn't a nice place to be, is one of my favorite pieces of Batman dialogue, too. Okay. Siskoid says, Wes Craven did a comprehensive oral history of Nightmare for Vulture. And Doc, De- Doc Destiny doesn't even rate a mention. The premise itself came from an article about survivors of the Cambodian killing fields, specifically a boy's nightmares about a monster trying to get him. So he tried to stop sleeping and eventually died in his sleep in the middle of night terrors. Dark stuff. Yeah, there's a there's a great Nightmare on Elm Street doc- documentary called Never Sleep Again. It was on Amazon Prime at one time. It's like three hours long or something, but it's a really interesting and fun documentary and they talked to Wes Craven and he goes over obviously before Wes Craven passed away and he um, goes over you know what you know informed the the Nightmare on Elm Street series so yeah and that was in there it's it's really interesting. Doug Vandiver wrote in to say Batman the accomplished singer-songwriter has the XM satellite radio in the Batmobile tuned to public domain remixes awesome so so did the ice cream truck driver from Legends yes this week, Farmer in the Dell is lit, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> and he cites the Lego movie, for one. Yes, Batman's very, you know, prolific songwriter for in the Lego Lego and Lego Batman movies. <laughs> oh, there you go, there you go. <laughs> Lewis writes in to say, When I think of the three musketeers of Hal, Guy, and John, Stuart stood out to me for his marriage to Katmatui and his dedication to the Mosaic. He seemed the one who most lived the life or went native as a spacefaring Green Lantern. So I never got the garbled dream speak when I first saw the episode. Instead, taking it as an alien language to show how distant John may have gotten with his Earth roots. Now that you mentioned Volcana and Fire, I'm left thinking of the unaired JLU episode where Volcana and Killer Frost faced off with Fire and Ice. Lewis also says, sure it was scrapped like the episode where Ted Cord debuted in a team-up with Captain Adam, or the one where John led his Detroit teammates against the Cadre and its mysterious overlord. Yeah, he's he was just. I asked him, was like, "What? Wait, that was an episode?" And he's like, "No, basically, it's in his head canon." Oh, <laughs> so okay. he's like yanking our chain. But uh, you know, he's not the only one. We get another comment later. Some people 
interpreted when John Stewart heard his friend Chris, the young boy, go like that, that it was, and then he saw the signs that it was him like saying he's lost touch with humanity, he's an alien now. Mm. And I kind of interpreted it that way at first. But then, based on the fact that John realizes he's in a dream, mm-hmm. that made me think that, no, this is them going back to that whole, uh, you know, uh, Batman animated series uh, right. trope that they did in the Mad Hatter episode. But I could be completely wrong, and they could be right. So I'd kind of like to ask Stan Berkowitz, if we ever interviewed him, like, right. what did you intend? Is this, which way one is this? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you can interpret it either way. So, in either ways, you know, I, I interpreted it both ways, actually, and just went with the second one. So, you know, yeah. Clinton Robinson says, Love me some D- Dr. Destiny. Probably one of my favorite underappreciated villains. So, this is definitely a good episode to discuss. Batman snores just like Cindy. I damn near spit out my coffee, Chris. <laughs> yeah, Cindy's like, uh, No, she's not like that. <laughs> we said like Batman. Ooh. Uh, Lizanne, Lizanne Oswald. I wonder what you're going to sound like from the couch tonight. <laughs> Lizanne Oswald says, Ooh. impressive podcast, most impressive. I had to listen to this as I fell asleep. Oh, man, that's scary. Still was a pretty cool one. I like this show. It was a bit of a pro-bat story, but this one fits. It's a story where his will would be the one to break it, and Jean being the one to help free the others. Yeah, this is a good one, but I'm really, yeah, I don't know about listening to this episode as you fall asleep. <laughs> Haven't you seen Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh. <laughs> Rob Kelly writes in to say, Like with the last Nightcast, Dr. Destiny is another underrated skull-faced villain. This episode made great use of him. And good job, Chris, on pronouncing... Materiopticon. Something I struggled with on the last Treasury cast. Yeah, Rob covered a Dr. Destiny story like at almost the exact same time, like one day apart, basically, or one, two oh, days apart okay. in a Justice League Treasury. So, yeah, Materiopticon. do 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 Tim Price says, interesting about Jean saying, I'm stronger than you in here in Superman's dream. But then in flashes, he still succumbed to the temporal dilation. Look at me sounding like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) My thinking is the rules of the dream overpower Jean, not Flash's mind, but interesting. When you think as fast as Flash, that could have remarkable effects on a telepath. Oh, and Chris, that issue of Flash stuck in stop time was fantastic. Good callback. Yeah, it is fantastic. All the Mark Wade. Especially during the Michael Ringo era. It's very brief, but that's that's prime flash right there. So if Hot Girl is claustrophobic, how did she manage being cramped with Green Lantern in that little ship on the way to War World? Just a thought. That's a good thought, too. But that episode is just not very good, so we all know that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> even, you know, even Rich Fogel admit, yeah, War World, yeah. You know. <laughs> so that was the one kind of dud of, of season one. Materiopticon is one of the worst names to say. It makes... Psyche Magnetron and Absorbiscon sound easy. Absorbiscon was the thing the Hawks used to, you know, figure out things on Earth, you know, from the Hawk. I can't remember where Psyche Magnetron is from. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. They shouldn't have to say Absorbiscon. I think Chris got beat up more than Destiny in this episode. (laughs) Of course, they were both asking for it. You (laughs) are. Thanks, Franklins. (laughs) Nick Vector says, great show. I, too, had forgotten about the twist in Hot Girl's Nightmare. Regarding John's nightmare, I saw the unreadable signs and indecipherable language, not as a reference to the BTAS episode, Only a Dream, but an extra detail to showcase John's fear of becoming out of touch with the humanity on Earth. But that is only a guess. Yeah, Nick, I, again, I think you, you might be right. 
And, uh, you know, the, the folks that brought that up, you, you indeed might be, you know, you might be uh, Yeah, I think both are valid takes. Yeah, so I, I really, really you know, let's just kind of leave that up in the air until we talk to Stan Berkowitz. So, yeah. well, that'll do it for this time. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you would like to support the Firewire Podcast Network, you can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast and uh, contribute there. And, uh, you know, we've got different levels you can, uh, uh, you know, contribute to. And if you contribute at a certain level... We get to we shout out your name on each episode. If you specifically, you know, uh, like you know, you pick JLU Cast to to uh, as your show of choice, then mm-hmm. we'll call your name out in a roll call. We'll have to make a whole new little segment, uh, but that'd be fun to do. So you can do that or any show you want to. So thanks everybody. But you know, you like us best, right? Right. <laughs> and next time we'll be talking talking about the episode Hearts and Minds, which I believe, if I remember right, introduces old Justice League villain Despero. So that'll be interesting. And we get some more Green Lantern action with uh, some of the core. So that'll be a good one. Including who we mentioned earlier, Kat Matui. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders, and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue Mommy and Daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FW Podcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLU Cast. You're keeping late hours. You should talk. Checking up on me? Not especially, but I do read the papers. Your point? You've been running in rarefied circles. I thought you should know some of those people aren't always what they appear to be.